Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. We are back with another Neurodiversity Stories. And guys, this is our episode 30, and it is going to be a, our final show. But guys, as like with everything, uh, everything evolves and moves on to different things. So please do stay in touch for all latest developments and everything else that we're going to be doing. But I want to say a massive thank you uh, to everyone that has supported this channel and our, our incredible 29 previous guests. And today we have another absolutely uh, incredible uh, guest. I can't even get my words out. I'm so excited. A uh, good friend of mine, Daniel Brooke. I've been following his content for for feels like ages on LinkedIn. He is absolutely incredible in the work that he's doing uh, in the neurodiversity sector, in the workplace sector. And do you know what? It just, it's fantastic to, to be able to, to pin him down uh, fresh from holiday uh, to, uh, to come on to neurodiversity stories, to share his wisdom and his take on neurodiversity stories. But guys, also as well, we couldn't do this without you. So I do want to really, really appreciate and thank you for everyone that's tuned in and either watched the, show, uh, the shows live or watched them uh, on YouTube or caught up on the podcast. We've had uh, people from, I think it's just over 15 countries, all getting involved in this. So it's been, like I said, an incredible movement and speaking to lots of different people around their stories around neurodiversity. I also, guys, want to say a massive thank you to all of our sponsors as well, which has kind of really kind of helped us, uh, you know, support the channel. And also, you know, the fact is being able to share the amazing products or services that they do. And I wanted to sh share with you guys this. Thank you. A massive thank you to Clara, Writer Helper, who have supported uh, our, our channel and been our latest sponsors. And I want you guys to check this out. If the thought of writing essays fills you with dread, then you need Claro Writing Helper from Claro Software, our intuitive Easy to use software takes the stress out of essay writing by giving you seven clear, easy to follow steps to help you organize your thinking, develop the flow, capture snippets from documents and websites, and produce great essay content. Contact us today to start your free 15 day trial and say goodbye to essay writing anxiety. So guys, that's Clara Writer Helper, an, an incredible organization. Uh, all their details will be in the blurb uh, attached to this. If you're uh, watching it on YouTube or catching on the podcast or even watching it live, then please do uh, check them out. Guys, we also would love to know if you are tuning in uh, live with us uh, or even if you're watching this on the replay, please do let us know where you're tuning in from. Maybe, you know, what country you're tuning in from uh, and feel free to, to get involved and ask any questions throughout this talk. It's always great to, to hear from you. But guys, you're not just here uh, to hear me uh, talk and, and thank everyone. You're here to uh, welcome our incredible guest, Daniel. Now, Daniel uh, is a neurodiversity specialist and he's support, supporting neurodiversity people in uh, the workplace. Like I said, he's doing an absolute phenomenal job. And we're going to be discussing kind of how to kind of create that uh, kind of neurodiverse workforce, but ultimately how we can kind of all work uh, in, in unison uh, together. And I... I really do want you to sit back and enjoy this incredible talk. Please, like I said, feel free to, to drop in the comments if you do have any questions along the way or let us know where you're tuning in from. But guys, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Daniel.
Good morning, Daniel. How are you, my friend? Uh, morning, Darren. I'm really well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm, do I'm doing incredibly well. Incredibly well. Daniel, I, I, I've just got to say, um, I I've got a, a massive bio, which I've kind of, uh, I've written out, which I was going to read uh, read out. But uh, it would be fantastic um, to, for you to kind of just introduce yourself. Just tell uh, the people a little bit about yourself. I know we we connected quite some time ago uh, on, on LinkedIn. And like I said, I've been a, a massive advocate of, of, of your content and, and the stuff you're putting out. It, you know, when you kind of gravitate, as soon as someone puts a, a certain post out, you always kind of gravitate. You think, oh, what's it going to be? That's your content and your post. So I'm always, always really kind of uh, intrigued in what you put in. But Daniel, uh, it'd be amazing if you could just introduce yourself and tell the viewers a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, Darren, I just want to say a massive thank you for inviting me on to uh, this this series. I, I think this series is, is fantastic and the content you've put out is is brilliant and hearing other people's stories has been absolutely amazing. So thank you for, for inviting me. Yes. And um, yeah, so so my name's Daniel and um, I am a, I'm the director of a company called Neurodiversity Specialists. Um, I'm dyslexic. Um, I set up the company really be because of that, because um, I experienced challenges in the workplace myself before, um, got some great support myself and actually through that journey learned how to gain more control over my challenges and how to tap into my strengths. And I think because of that journey um, that I had, I really wanted to give that support to others really make that uh, difference to other people's lives. And um, yeah, I set up the company really to, to do that, to support individuals, but also uh, educate uh, educate organizations and employers of how amazing neurodivergent people are and how brilliant having neurodiverse teams can actually be for them. That's absolutely wonderful, Daniel. And, and it's so important you know i've worked in the in the kind of the workplace uh obviously prior to my uh dyslexia and adhd diagnosis at the age of 36 so i kind of understand what it was kind of like prior to working in the workplace uh undiagnosed and then kind of you know setting up my own businesses and, and working in that kind of working with organizations to understand it and it it, it is i mean you, you must see that i mean there's there's a, a lot of work to be done but also i guess there's there's some incredible work that's being done already yeah, absolutely. You know, um, some organisations are really like leading the way, um, really thinking about, you know, how do we recruit neurodiverse individuals? Um, how can we make that process neuro inclusive? Really thinking about um, the way that they train individuals and duck them into the organisation. So some organisations are doing some really, really great stuff. But yes, of course, there are organisations out there that that maybe aren't aware of the benefits of neurodiversity and aren't aware of how they need to be and should be um, supporting neurodivergent people within their organisation. Yes. So that's why it's great, you know, people like you and I out there educating these organisations, really helping them to, to understand what they should be doing. And, and you're absolutely right, Daniel. Thank you so much for sharing that. With, with regards to, because I, I see it kind of as, as a journey. And I know when we started working with organizations, uh, kind of, you know, I think it was like two years ago, two or three years ago. And it was kind of, it was obviously a lot of unknown questions. It was almost, okay, so can you come and do a talk or can you come and do this? And and I always kind of see it as a as a, as a journey. And, and it's not, you know, we don't just 
have an organization that's going to be, you know, dyslexia awareness in October because it's dyslexia awareness month. You know, it needs to be November, December, January and so on and so on. And I don't know if you've had that in the sense of, look, when they contacted you, it's almost OK. So we, I always say we start with a conversation. It's almost just, you know, that communication and how we kind of work with that. And then it's the case. It is a, a relationship building, isn't it? It's, it's a journey because it's not just almost like you're opening Pandora's box, so to speak. And and then you're kind of trying to manage through it. That's just kind of my take. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. It, it is a journey. And I actually think that sometimes organisations maybe don't come forward um, or maybe don't get some expertise into the organisation because they don't know where to start. Yeah. And actually, they don't maybe fully know you know, what's the process that we need to put in place. So I absolutely agree with you. I think it's about having the conversation, um, uh, helping organisations understand how they can take a step-by-step -step approach to this and the kind of order that they need to do things in. So I don't know if you found this, Darren. But... No, you're, you're, honestly, you're absolutely spot on. And I guess, you know, we, we in in some aspects, I guess we, we, we live and breathe this kind of, you know, the, the neurodiversity sector. And, and, but but you're absolutely right. It's how does an organization say, OK, so how do we how do we work with this? What do we do? What are the steps and what do we do going moving forward? And, and I guess, you know, coming to, to yourself as an expert in that field and then saying, OK, so how do we do it? That relaying that thing what you just said you know the journey the process and this is what we do in, in these steps is absolutely vital to to you know to the organization to know how you know how long it's going to be taking what steps they're going to be taking because that's ultimately what they kind of want to know really isn't it and how to support their staff yeah absolutely absolutely and i think a lot of organizations uh you know are thinking about where where do we start with with this so my view is the, the place where you actually need to start in terms of support is actually getting a very clear and appropriate process of support for neurodivergent staff, staff in place. So you want to make sure that you've got that process in place so that anyone within your organisation or anyone joining your organisation knows what support they will be given for their challenges. So we're talking things like workplace needs assessments, workplace coaching, assistive technology, you know, having a really clear process of how people will access that support. And then from that, you can build kind of outwards, really, and think about, okay, well, how do we um, recruit neurodiverse individuals? How do we make that um, recruitment and selection process neuro inclusive so yeah absolutely you know talking to organizations helping them to understand where the priorities should be and, and the kind of appropriate order to things so i have a i have a kind of um uh sort of you know a, a value where i won't help organizations improve their recruitment and selection uh practice until they've got that good uh and clear process of support in place because no, yeah. no, no, no. That's absolutely I, I, really interesting that you, you you said that, and that that's almost like that that commitment to you, isn't it? In in the sense of not just to you, but to the to the staff, to your organisation. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, to to have that, you know, this isn't um, you know, a tick box exercise. Um, this isn't you know the process. You don't just bring me in to be able to do this. It, you know, I you genuinely care about the well being of people and and how to help them. So yeah, absolutely. You don't want to put your name to something that's just going to be. Uh, you know, a process which isn't going to be, you know, fully taken through. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's just about, um, you know, understanding that if, if you're going to recruit this amazing talent that's out there, yeah. you need to support them when they're in the organisation. And actually, when you when you've got that support um, process in place, yeah. they're going to be able to be more in control of their challenges, work at their best, and then the organisation are going to benefit from all those amazing strengths that they have. Um, yeah. So. Absolutely, Daniel. I don't normally go to questions so early, but I just know that you're a, you're a, you're a popular <laughs> chap, uh, so I just knew that we would we would have uh, you know people in. So I just want to kind of go to, to to some of these kind of the comments that we had. Again, a massive thank you to everyone that's tuning in. Um, please feel free to let us know whereabouts in the world you're tuning in from. Uh, Adrian Chase says, "Hi, I have a brother with dyslexia, and he has learned to only read something uh, something once and totally take it in the detail, and he has such a brilliant." Uh, imagination. Adrian's a great friend of mine. Thank you so much for sharing that, Adrian. And I know uh, your your brother uh, very well and, and the story behind him. I just want to bring up um, Millie. So Millie Moss has said, be interesting to know how can organizations avoid box ticking and how individuals can spot organizations that are simply box ticking. It can be hard when you're applying for roles to know which organizations is going to be genuinely supportive and which just to say, uh, you know, will be. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Uh, I'm sorry if I'm throwing a question at you, Daniel. <laughs> oh no, no, go for it, go for it. Yeah, I, yeah, I do. I do have some thoughts on that, and I think I think that's um, a really interesting uh, topic and and point. And I think that um, so when I'm working with people who are looking for a new role and looking to work in an organisation, and they are maybe a bit fearful of this that you know they're going to go into an organisation where they're not really going to be supported. They say they're going to do it, but you know, do they? Are they really going to do it and are they going to do it well? So I always say to candidates, look at what that organisation um, is communicating to you about things like reasonable adjustments. Um, when when they, um, you know, are inviting you to interview, are they talking about reasonable adjustments at the interview stage? Are they... Um, putting out communication and blogs about neurodiversity and how as an organization they value it um so yeah what what are they really communicating what what's on their website what what during the recruitment process are they telling you about neurodiversity and the support they give to individuals because if they're doing it at that stage right at the beginning and they're also sort of blogging or communicating things about neurodiversity, that would give me personally confidence that, yes, this organisation is taking it seriously and really understands the value of it. Spot on. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't put it better myself. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. I, I, I guess you, when we, you know, because we look at the recruitment process, it's kind of the start of the journey for the individual. Because like I said, it is, you know, when we're even advertising the job in a, in a, in a certain way, uh, it's, you know, how do, we, how do we take that process? And, and if we think about some of the, um, uh, the kind of the online applications that we have to do, and maybe, you know, some kind of the, the theory, I don't know if it's you theory test, but some of the tests that we have to go through. And I remember speaking to uh, an incredible chap, uh, Elliot, who uh, who's doing phenomenal things in HSBC. Mm. And, and he said, you know, sometimes the process for, say, the banking industry or something, you know, within the financial industry can be quite difficult because there are so many different tests that you have to do prior to this. And if you think about it, we can lose some real talent through that one process of where we're having, you know, they may fail some of that test, I'm not saying that Elliot did, he did incredible. Um, but, but in general, if we take the banking industry as one, 
that process can be, you know, quite difficult. You could probably not even get to the interview to be able to show your, you know, your talent and who you, you know, who you are and what you can do. And it could just be some of those psychometric tests or, or that's, that's, you know, the yeah. terminology. Mm. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, some of those, those processes um, and, and that recruitment process can be really rigid. And, and um, one of the things that I really try to communicate to organisations is you can't be so rigid because you're going to be having people applying and actually you want people who are applying who think and process differently. So that kind of one size fits all approach is not going to work. So if you are doing interviews, assessments, things like that, you have to think about how you could diversify those so that people who think and process differently get an equal opportunity. So, you know, a really simple example, Darren, would be you're asking somebody to complete a long application form, writing lots of information into it. Actually, is that role, does that role require a lot of written communication? And if it doesn't, why aren't you letting people upload video CVs? You know, it's thinking about things differently. Absolutely, absolutely love that. That 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 element, like you said, you know, with the the, the video upload, uh, you know, a lot of my content that I've done throughout the years, my own businesses and everything else, is being. If someone said, uh, you know, why do you do so many so much video, you know, and and it's purely because sometimes the video it just allows me to get the message out a lot quicker. And I always find it, it, when I go into kind of the real world, so to speak, and I'm having to fill in lots of forms and the formality of it, it does still feel like it's, you know, it's it's stuck in some sort of um, some sort of a dated ages where, where you know, that, that would be. I mean, there probably are some organizations that allow you to upload a video within that side of it. I've not seen them, but but that you're absolutely right. That Those would be that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, um, you know, it, it's taken this approach with so many other things as well. So just thinking about, OK, you, you, different people are going to be applying, interacting with you. So we need to have different ways of doing things. So if you're asking someone to produce or give you something in a very theoretical way, how is that going to be inclusive for those who are more visual or practical learners and and, and 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 process in that way so it's just really thinking like about diversifying the way that you do things it's so so important yeah no absolutely i'm just gonna there's a couple more on there uh, daniel that's okay um yeah, michelle Casson said hi darren uh had a spare moment of work i know incredibly if you've not followed michelle Casson, she is uh the head head at uh, moon hill school who a dyslexic school who are doing incredible incredible things um thank you so much for joining us uh michelle um, I just want to bring up uh, Ruth Ruth Fenton. Uh, she says, um, love you get support into the organization first. I've just been through a long recruitment process, which was no way neurodiverse friendly. Uh, fully, fully of psychometric tests, a test of me now, uh, assessment centers, etc. It does make me wonder what support would be in place for neurodiverse um, staff. I Thank you so much for sharing that, Ruth. And obviously, I'm sorry to hear that you've obviously gone through uh, that process but like I said Daniel I mean if it, I, I think we, we just need to clone you um, <laughs> a, a few things so so when we talk about the recruitment process um, it, it's absolutely right isn't it that that is the first um, you know when you're looking at an organization to, to work with 
are you kind of looking do you go in and um if you if you don't mind sharing you don't have to yeah, but are you, you kind of look at those things like you said are they doing the blogs are they doing the awareness what would it be like if i recruited for you know was applying for a position within that is that the kind of the 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 way that you would look at an organization that contacts you yeah so i guess i guess maybe i'd be looking at the organization from a slightly different perspective so if an organization gets in touch with me about okay we'd like to um work with you to to raise awareness or we'd like you to um normally organizations will come to me and say oh we want you to do something very specific and then actually when you have the conversation you're like are you quite ready for that yet because there might be a few steps before and Normally, I have to say with a lot of organisations that I speak to, what they originally come to me for, we're not quite delivering that straight away. So you don't want to jump in with um, recruitment if you haven't got the process in place, you you know, or there's been no education piece at all around kind of like awareness training. So I think I think when organisations contact me and answer to your question, um, yes i'm looking at what they've already done and asking lots of questions about that but i'm also checking is what you think you need what you actually need and actually helping them to understand that there could be some steps before that um so yeah no that that's absolutely fantastic i'm sorry for putting you on the spot on that daniel no. I, I really it, it's just it's just really interesting to know you know and and you're absolutely right in the sense that the process we we try and think to ourselves well, we need to fix everything so if you, if you went and said okay so we're looking at the recruitment process we're looking at the onboarding we're looking at um you know assistive technology how to work what support they can have in this from an organization point that maybe is only just researching to see how they can do i can imagine they're thinking well can you just <laughs> sort it all out and you're thinking well hang on is and this is what i mean about the process and it's a long you know it becomes a, a working relationship and a, you know a journey i, I guess yeah because ultimately if we're, if we're recruiting someone in and we sort out the recruitment and then they come in and there's certain support that's not in there in, in place it you can then it, it can start kind of occurring a few issues couldn't it yeah yeah ab absolutely and I, and I think one of the the great things is when you can um really work with the organization and people within the organization that are going to be um owners of this so owners of the recruitment process owners of the tr internal training and development and what what i love is 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 working with those individuals and helping them to build something that works for their organization because um you know we need we need something that is specific and bespoke to that organization um, and, and you're only going to really get that understanding when you work really closely with those people. So that's what I love. I love going along to like meetings and, and talking to them about, OK, well, what is it that you're already doing? And oh, here's some ideas. And I know this works really well in an, uh, an organization similar to you. And I love those conversations because it gets everyone really excited. And ultimately, it's almost, you know, you kind of when you walk away from working with that organization for quite some time and you look back and you think, oh, my goodness, you know, you were responsible of helping so many people. And, and then and you're laying these foundations down to help people in the future that probably won't you know get to meet you in in, the, in that sense but but that that's must be incredibly rewarding to know that that you know when someone in six months a year's time two years time is, is then applying to work in that organization the foundations that you've helped build will help that individual within that workplace 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a hugely rewarding part part of the the, the work that, that both of us do. I think I think we we want individuals to be really supported. We want individuals to come into organisations and from day one have the support that they need to work at their best because that will not only make them feel great. Um, the organization is going to massively benefit from that because they're going to be producing like amazing work and the organization can really tap into their strengths. But, you know, I think it has such a such a I don't know what the right word is, but like I'm thinking like a global reach when you get these things right. And yes. when you do them well, it, it, it really, really spreads throughout the whole of the organization. It improves you know, communication, productivity, creativity, innovation. You know, if you get, if you get, if you could get a good process in place, you, you look at, you know, your policies and procedures and you make them neuroinclusive, it just has a massive positive impact. And I love that. I love being like a, a part of that. It, it really is. And you are, you are, you know, doing incredible, incredible work within, you know, within the, you know, the, the, the workplace. And you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is, you know, I, I've always thought of it, you don't want special favours or, you know, to, someone to say, well, actually, you know, uh, you know, a kind of a leg up in, in the organisation because of this. It is, it's just being allowed to be, to do, to have the support, which is, you know, and then just be able to have that in place so you can actually, you know, deliver what your, you know, what your job is. Because the amount of pressure, I, I guess, on an individual to deliver, you know, what they need to do, maybe their KPIs or whatever it is they need to do. Hmm. And the fundamentals of not being able to put that email together or or read or something, you know, something else that's that's stopping that and not having that support and no one to speak to. It, it, it becomes quite a daunting place. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of individuals on a one to one basis, where the, the, the kind of the first thing or one of the first things that I think about is, it would have been so great if you were having this workplace needs assessment with me, when you started the job. Or, you know, soon after starting, you're now maybe two years into the job. You, you know, you've struggled with certain parts of the, the role. You've been communicating that, that that you, you know, you need some support. And, um, and, and unfortunately, for whatever reason, that hasn't happened yet. So, yeah, you know, I think the other thing is about the, the time of when the support is given. And if it's given early on, that's great 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 for everybody and I, and I think that um you know a lot of organizations really want to do the right thing but they're just they're just not aware of of necessarily how to do it and of course they they don't have people within the organizations that have that expertise so it's important that they do reach out and um you know work with people that can help them do uh this Absolutely. And that, it's normally what I found is there's someone within an organization, maybe, you know, some of the larger organizations as well. I've seen that's kind of championing, championing the, uh, you know, the, the dyslexic movement within the organization, neurodiversity movement or, or whatever they're doing. And then yeah. then that's a case of then looking for outside support to then bring someone in to kind of help and support. It's very difficult in uh, I've noticed, you know, measurement especially kind of two, three years ago to kind of approach an organization and create this idea of making a neurodiverse workplace. It's almost, well, the workplace is, is, is fine. So that's kind of, you know, the kind of experiences that I, I, you know, I find sometimes if you've got someone championing it in, inside an organization, it does, it does help a little bit to start that motion. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think I think what's what's interesting is sometimes when you work with an organisation where um, some of the senior leaders um, in the organisation are neurodivergent, they they obviously can really see the value of, of neurodiversity and then will really champion that. So those organisations are, uh, you know, are great to work with because they've got somebody quite senior who, who really understands the value. And I think that, um, uh, you know, I think, I think the other thing that, um, that is important to mention. Yeah, please feel free. Is all the, okay, how do we make our, um, how do we make our workforce neurodiverse while your workforce is already neurodiverse? Because there's going to be lots of people in your organization that have these um, neurodivergent conditions. So what we need to do is make your organization neuro inclusive so that those people who are working, you know, get the support they need, able to work at their best. Um, I'm repeating myself. Uh, here but um no 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 I, I i totally get i love that spin uh and and you're absolutely right it, it is you know let's create a neurodiverse workforce and, and when you say it's, it already is you know you have to create that part you know that that's already created exactly. <laughs> is, exactly. is how you turn that around i i just want to bring up a, a couple more comments if that's okay um just yeah, in response to, so we had millie millie moss um uh, asked you know the question the, the comment um so millie moss has said a uh, good point thank you daniel i suspected something larger organizations and corporates are taking on board or hopefully started to. It'd be great for this to filter down to smaller organizations, smaller nonprofits, et cetera, which is where things like neurodiverse support can be seen as a nice to have, but not essential due to uh, less staff. I, I, I definitely, I mean, when I talk about large organizations, I guess, you know, you know, it really, we're talking, like I said, all organizations uh, within, within this. And then obviously supporting, you know, entrepreneurs, startups, you know, it, it, it's very vast, isn't it? That, the, the support that we need to kind of get out there and help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're an organization that employs more than eight people, you're likely to have one or two people within that uh, organization already that are neurodivergent. And I think that um, I think uh, going back to sort of Molly's uh, point there, something really uh, um, important to to um, explain: larger organisations, some are doing great, great stuff, but there are still some really large organisations that aren't and and are not valuing neurodiversity, and people are struggling within those organisations. And there are some startups and some really small organizations that are leading the way in terms of um, what they're doing in terms of support and how they're recruiting. So um, I think naturally, sometimes we can assume, oh, well, the large organizations that have got the money, they're going to, you know, change their processes, make them really neuroinclusive, inclusive, have great support in place. That's not always the case. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it, it you know, I, I think, I think that neurodiversity hasn't been a priority in a lot of organizations because it's that one strand of equality and diversity that um, unfortunately hasn't hasn't been given a, much of the spotlight for a long time. But what I really try to communicate is that neuro, neurodivergent conditions affect a lot more people than we think. So yeah. say one in seven, but actually, I think it's much higher than that because we have so many people who are undiagnosed and don't realise they're neurodivergent. 
could not Daniel absolutely valid valid very valid points in that and and we're absolutely right you know I knew I was dyslexic in ADHD at 36 you know I was speaking I I, I tell this story quite a lot and I spoke to a gentleman um at the start of lockdown and he was 76 not was but he's probably 78 now uh 76 years of age and just been diagnosed with dyslexia and it almost he almost he was a, a bit cross that he almost didn't uh relieved in one aspect but a little bit cross that he didn't uh, know about it you know kind of prior to to that but but you know it, and and this is the problem with statistics i guess um and don't worry we're not going to go into statistics but but genuinely it, it, we say you know one in five one in ten and, and all these things but that's on the basis of people that have come uh forward and either been assessed or or know um you know uh, around neurodiversity that you know that, that it, it affects them so you're absolutely right yeah and it's it's um it, it i i think it's a bit of a challenge actually because because so many people um aren't diagnosed and don't realize that they're neurodivergent or haven't had that formally recognized that can be quite difficult to get accurate stats and i think maybe some organizations may um have uh you know maybe not come forward and 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 looked at this area as closely as they need to because they maybe think that they don't have that many people in the organization that have these conditions but as you've rightly said it affects a lot more people than we think and also when you take into consideration that neurodivergence conditions co-occur with each other so you know that that expands it even more so um and, and if, you, if you're looking at sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you then no, if you're, you're looking at organization you know you know one of these huge conglomerates uh, kind of organization and then and, and even if we went with the statistic of one in ten you think how many thousands of people work in that organization and it's almost if if they turn around and say well actually you know it's a small percentage it doesn't matter if it's one person you know in that percentage over the longevity of that workplace and and helping the you know the individual is is something that needs to be brought like you said to, you know surely to the forefront yeah uh, definitely definitely and and you know i there's been so many examples of where one neurodivergent person has got uh, has got some support and they've developed really good coping strategies um and they're using technology to help them gain more control over their challenges and the impact that that's had on then their team and other people around them has been huge because they've maybe shared some of the advice that they've been given the coping strategies that work for them also can very often work for people who we say are like neurotypical um don't really like that word that much but you know people who don't have neurodivergent conditions yeah. so a lot of a lot of the you know the support that can be given to that one individual the impact of that being given that support can can actually be huge and the reach of it can be huge wonderful thank you i'm just going to bring up a couple of more um people who's uh, who's written uh cassandra um uh, incredible person being on the show uh, daniel amazing point as someone with dyslexia and as a teacher supporting students who find learning more challenging i would like to see what they're saying within our education system uh we i, I completely agree you know the the educational system we we have had um you know some incredible guests talking about the educational system on our story so please do check out um some of those as well but you're absolutely you're absolutely right and and i'm sure daniel con will concur in in that you know it, I, I see um the education system as kind of 
the way I'd love to see the journey and the process is that we're we're supporting individuals within the educational system so that we they they have, they have that kind of support. Then they go into uh, you know sixth form or college or university, and then the workplace. Wouldn't it be amazing if that support was enabled to just have that you know that continuous journey rather than these gaps of you know not being able to be supported in school uh, and maybe supported in university and then not in the workplace you see what i mean it just it would be amazing if we had that kind of journey oh i think i think that would be just so amazing because you know i i've worked with people that have had really great support during school and education and then they come into the workplace and they're not aware of what support they can access or maybe their organization isn't isn't offering or communicating about that and then they've kind of gone from somebody who's had some great support achieved amazing things during education and then they're in the workplace and they're struggling and they don't know how to support themselves so to have you know to have all of that lined up and 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 all of those different parts of life really um to have the right support is a it would would be amazing and you know, there, there are some schools that are doing some incredible, incredible yeah. things, but I, then there are some schools that are maybe a bit behind behind the curve as well. No, I totally agree. I, I speak to a, a lot of um, kind of um, people on kind of LinkedIn and, and, and students that kind of message uh, on, on the sense uh, that when they've got to university, a lot of the, the people that I've spoken to have been diagnosed when they got to university in the sense. And, and I, I think, you know, that going to university I, I can imagine I, I've not been to university uh, but, but I can imagine it's an incredibly daunting place anyway uh, exciting but daunting in, in in responsibility and what you need to do but but also if you then are told you know yes it's dyslexia or ADHD or, or it, at university I can imagine that that could be again something that could be a, another challenge um, you know mentally to you know to kind of deal with absolutely and i think i think that when people do get diagnosed um if if they're kind of you know uh, an adult whether that's a young adult or or later on i think you always have that that part of you where you look back and you wish that things were different so i know that when i um found out i was dyslexic you know i was i looked back at my school and i thought oh god if only things were like a little bit different i know i would have done differently um but then but then you know another way well, Daniel, which brings me lovely onto and thank you so much for for sharing all your wisdom on this um and normally i start off by saying you know tell me a little bit about you know diagnosis and, and things but like i said we've got questions coming in thick and fast um yeah. on there so so guys please do keep your questions coming in if we can't answer them uh live while we're, we're talking then um hopefully you know daniel if you can um it, it, myself and daniel will, will answer any questions uh, on linkedin if that's okay um you know over the period of time um yeah. if that's okay but but daniel tell me about your kind of diagnosis what age did you find out uh, around your dyslexia if you don't mind sharing yeah no absolutely um so i was 30 um i was in i was in my second role within within uh, a big i used to work for a university a, a big university quite famous one um i was in my second role there i'd really struggled in my first role the second role was a lot more suited to my strengths but i was still struggling with certain parts of it and i think when i when i found out at that age at 30 there were so many emotions attached to that there was relief i finally got an answer 
okay, I'm not, I'm not just stupid because I thought that I was stupid and not intelligent. And that's why I found certain things difficult or challenging that others didn't. Um, but you know, there was also like anger towards like the past and 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 things that have been said to me in the past and 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 you know things that happened at school. But I have to say it was such a turning point for me, you know, finding out that I was dyslexic and understanding more about how I process, um, what works for me in terms of processing information, what strategies I can put in place, you know, really helped me to get a better understanding of, you know, who I was, what I was good at. And, uh, you know, from that point onwards, really good things started happening because I just had uh, increased self-awareness, I think. That's it. That's incredible. I, I didn't realize it was, you know, uh, the age of 30. So, you know, very similar. Uh, just I was 36, you're 30. So so it, it is a kind of a, a bit of a life changing moment, isn't it? And I, I found once I had the diagnosis, it was almost for me, it was I would look back and you're absolutely right, because uh, I, I always remember there were certain situations where I didn't get the promotion or I did get the promotion or there were certain tests I had to do and all these different things are going on. And, you know, I beautiful the mind is and sometimes you don't realize the mind doesn't realize whether it's actually happening or it's a memory and uh without going into neuroscience of minds and stuff but but genuinely though i used to almost cringe with some of the the things that i felt embarrassed at the time you know all those moments like why don't I, why can't i why can't, do i not understand these kind of element elements of it so understanding that i learned differently and understanding it's dyslexia or adhd it, it did give me that kind of almost sort of forgiveness I guess for for you know for, I always forgave myself for feeling like that I know it sounds a bit, a bit strange but and and moments of looking back now I can kind of think well that was part of my journey that's why I did it but but it did it did make me very reflective yeah yes um I I can I can totally um what's the word um relate to that um because because I think that understanding why you find something challenging and that there's a reason because of that I think that similar to yourself I started to be less hard on myself and that actually had a real positive impact on my self-esteem and my confidence so I can totally relate to what you said and um you know look, look at what you've done now Darren you know you've, you've like, achieved so much haven't you so it just goes to show that when you've got a good understanding of yourself and you've got the right coping strategies in place it can make a, it can make an amazing uh, difference, and and go straight back to you, Daniel. You know, you 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 you're being far too kind on on what you've what you've achieved and what you're achieving, but but I think for me, it's um, the, how important is the support network around there for you? You know, you, you because for, for me, uh, they've always said, you know, like how do you do you know certain things and, and achieve these things and stuff, and and for me, I know what I'm good at. I know what I enjoy to do and, and other stuff, you know, I'm not like a child. I won't say, well, I won't do that because I don't enjoy it. You know, there's certain things you have to do, but I know where I kind of excel and, and where they get the kind of the best out of me. But the mm. amazing thing I've had is I've always kind of seemed to, even prior to diagnosis, I was always seemed to surround myself with incredible people who can kind of help and support and inspire. How, how important has your kind of network, uh, 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 you know, of, of people been, Daniel? If you don't mind. Yeah, uh, very important. Um, I think whether that's friends, family, other work colleagues, uh, other professionals uh, in, in this workspace as, as well. Um, so 
yeah, I, I think it's I think it's hugely important because um, I, I think you know if we're being honest, there will have been times where because of our neurodivergent condition that um, there have been certain periods in your life where it's been quite challenging. Hugely. Um, you know, before you've got the support, before you've got the coping strategies in place. So having people around you that that can give you that emotional support, having people that around you that can, um, you know, that, that, that don't make you feel different and like an outsider and actually make you feel you know included and supported is, is really really important and I got some amazing support when I was at in, in um uh, the university that I worked at um uh, and that you know for me made a huge difference to 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 my life so yeah very very important that, that wonderful thank you for sharing that I I, I feel it's, it's almost sometimes the support's there when you don't really know it's there and and and, and it can just be something really small but but and then you kind of reflect on that and you think, oh, my goodness, that that, you know, I look back on some of the, the things you know, that were a real kind of struggle for me. And that, like I said, having those conversations and being a little bit open about some of the struggles that that you have, uh, I found it has really kind of helped and support. And I, I put a, um, a post up on, on uh, LinkedIn the other day and it was just around um, our kind of mind talk of how we see. Uh, how I hear people talk about dyslexia and I, you know, I've done exactly the same. And generally, mm -hmm. whenever I kind of uh, you know, mention my dyslexia, it's normally on a basis of uh, it's then led with something I can't do. So I'm, I, I struggle with that because I'm dyslexic or I struggle with this because of this or I'm not, you know, with that kind of it's always seems to be a negative connotations, even though it's not meant to be. And it was just interesting to think about, the, you know, flipping it on, on its head, really, and that, that positive conversations around, you know, what is it from your dyslexia or ADHD or, you know, neurodiverse mind that then does bring more of a kind of a, a positivity element? Because I think we do tend to, I don't know if it's human behavior, we do sort of prior to, to, to not dwell on the negatives, but we we do see it as a, as a, as a, a you know, as a problem sometimes. Would you... Do you does, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely does, Darren. And I, and I think also because of the way sometimes, you know, things are set up, we're always kind of set up, aren't we, to um, look at what our um, weaknesses, challenges, difficulties are and improve on those. And I think that um, so that can naturally make you feel like, oh, I didn't get the grade that I needed or um Oh, someone else in the in the team that I've worked with did a better job on that. So you're always comparing yourself to others, yeah. and I think that that's why you can naturally kind of go towards like th that that uh, way of thinking. But I have to say, and I I I, I don't mean this in an, in an arrogant way. And what I do appreciate before I say this is that everyone's everyone will be at a different place in their journey Huge. of accepting their dyslexia or neurodivergent condition but I now and I'm very grateful for this have got to a place where I would not change it for anything I love what my dyslexia gives to me I love what it's given me in terms of my strengths and I accept what it's given me in terms of my challenges and thankfully I've now got some good coping strategies in place but that's what I love to do Darren when I work with people I love to get them to look at their their dyslexia and think this this is a strength it's given me all these amazing sets of skills 
I wouldn't be able to do some of the things that I love and enjoy without these. So, you know, really trying to get people to look at their neurodivergent condition and think, I'm glad I've got it because it gives me these amazing. Uh, so so honestly, so beautifully put, honestly. And, 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 and you're absolutely right. It, it is about that journey of, of where someone is, you know, whether it's undiagnosed, whether it's diagnosed, whether they don't necessarily have to be diagnosed in, in, in that. But it is, I guess, you know, for me personally, I can think about all the kind of the knocks that I've had and, you know, the strength and the resilience that you've kind of built up, uh, you know, and, and, and through those. And, and you're absolutely right. There are, you know, even to this day, there's frustrations when you're trying to write uh, an email, you're trying to do something and, and the screen's moving or, or, you know, all these different kind of things that, that are kind of happening. But I do, I mean, I'm always quite a positive person. I do try, you know, to kind of move on that, that, that positive side and take something from it um so so i'm you know i completely understand and, and with you on that one. Oh, brilliant yeah you know um steph definitely um you know focusing on 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 the positives and the strengths that 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 these conditions give to you is is is, is great and um you know and actually i think then you you, you become you become more confident definitely you too i'm, I'm gonna just nip on to uh the um the, the comments um we've got linkedin user um sometimes it pops up well i think we're connected on linkedin so feel, feel free to uh to to put your name in the in the comments after to say who it was so it's a great episode what i learned great episode what i learned from having an invisible disability disability is not an in, inability to do something i see it as an opportunity to go an alternative path to arrive at a solution and it's on this path where no, novel and innovative ideas exist thank you so much for, for sharing that I really do I really do appreciate this um and half penny said so true uh apologies ben we've probably moved on <laughs> to lots of different conversations <clears throat> from that but most reasonable adjustments actually will benefit everyone whether they are in uh, neurodiverse or not also most reasonable adjustments cost nothing to make you're right. absolutely right ben in in that sense and and there's something um you you mentioned daniel and uh, you know you beautifully put in the sense that this is about building uh you know <clears throat> that workplace environment where we can all kind of work together and, and play off of each other's strengths. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's a great point, um, especially around the, the reasonable adjustments, not costing much. Um, in a lot of cases, very, very simple things have a huge impact and don't cost anything at all. Yeah. And I just want to say um, there, um, uh, Barry Morgan, uh, he said, what training is there for businesses to do to support uh, the staff? Barry, uh, please do connect with Daniel if you're not connected already. I'm sure he can definitely uh, assist and help you um, with any any questions that you have uh, on this. And and, and as well, um, Michelle Casson, she says, early intervention and support is key. Um, and, and and something that we've, we've touched on on this this episode, Daniel, and in, in that, you know, I... I I totally agree in that, that sense. If you can kind of get into a, a workplace where you can help an individual from early off, and I think you mentioned that around if someone's been in a workplace for two years, then maybe that can be uh, not, uh, not not you know harder to help that individual. But sometimes those those early interventions to help that individual can can help the person in the workplace and the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. You know, designing your support process so that people do get supported early it, it, is going to be great, great for everyone. Because, you know, un unfortunately, there are some examples of where because the person hasn't been been supported, um, you know, the, the, the situation can become a bit 
uncomfortable maybe and there might be a breakdown in relationship there and actually you want to prevent all of that you want you want to give the person what they need in order to work at their best right from the beginning so that everyone you know everyone benefits from it absolutely and like you know if we take an organization you know the last thing we want is a continuous labor turnover and i hate to use the word labor is in people is just again just terminology but mm. but you know, if we're continuously, you know, it's, it's, it's quite expensive as an organization if we look at recruiting people, you know, bringing people in training and there's, and then, so that's from the business element, but emotionally from an individual has to go through those processes of, uh, you know, filling out application forms, doing this, going for the interview, going through the process, not having the support in the organization, then leaving and then starting the cycle again within an, an, another organization is, it can be quite soul destroying, can't it? Absolutely. And also uh, another part of this is that you're not retaining talent. So if you haven't, if, if people haven't been supported and don't have the right um, strategies, technology, etc. in place for them, you might not be fully benefiting from all their talent, strength, skills. So then if that person leaves the organisation for whatever reason, you're, you're losing out on that talent. You haven't tapped into it in the first place, potentially, but you're going to lose out on it, too. Absolutely. Daniel, we are coming up to uh, the end of our time. And I did say that it will go quite, quite quick. <laughs> I can honestly talk to you for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you've got um, much more important things uh, to do. But honestly, my friend, it's been absolutely fantastic having you uh, on um, on the neurodiversity stories as my, uh, my my final guest but it's just been in incredible listening to your wisdom on this Daniel if, if people want to get uh, in contact with you how can they do how can they do that yeah uh, so they can connect with me on on LinkedIn um, Daniel Brooke um, they can on my website so it's www.neurodiversity um, oh god I've forgotten it dash it's okay. I'll put all the I'll put all the links <laughs> Um, to yeah. your social channels and your um, uh, your websites uh, as well. And guys, if you are, aren't right. already connected with, with Daniel, please do uh, reach out and connect with him. Um, and if you are an organization that do, does want support within those organizations, and please do reach out. Um, like I said, he's doing phenomenal stuff and can really help uh, workplaces and individuals. So I appreciate it. Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this. Um, I'm sure we'll catch up in a couple of weeks' time for a Zoom call uh, or or maybe in the you know future an actual real face-to-face -face coffee now that we can do these things. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the Friday. Have an amazing weekend. Um, Thanks, Darren. You're most welcome, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, that my friend. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Take you're care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Darren. Bye-bye. guys that was Daniel I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did like I said guys all of his information will be all in the blurb down below up below where, wherever it kind of sits on whatever format but please do connect with him guys that uh, I'm afraid is the end of our neurodiversity stories we will be back with a uh, with something new maybe in the future please do uh, stay connected with me on LinkedIn or anything else that you're uh, connected with thank you so much indeed for your time and I will catch you very, very soon. Take care, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.